Hey, everybody. Uh, today, we have a really exciting episode. Uh, just letting you know how it's going to go today. Uh, we have two guests. The first guest is Sam Amick of The Athletic. Uh, we've had Sam on before, but this time he's in to discuss his recent uh, article that he published on The Athletic talking about the Ben Simmons sweepstakes, if you want to call it that. Uh, basically, the state of the talks with the Kings and the Hawks and, and basically where things are at. He's got a lot of great reporting. Uh, Sam will be first up. After that, we'll have an ad break. Stick with us. After the ad break, we'll have Sixers Adam of RTRS, uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez, formerly Liberty Ballers. He'll talk to us about the Sixers salary cap situation and how that relates to the Tobias Harris. The Sixers trying to get off of Tobias Harris and, and sign James Harden somehow. Uh, and then after that, we're going to talk about the games this week, the Sixers uh, having a three-in-one week and uh, beating the Celtics and the Heat in a back-to-back. -back. So uh, enjoy this week's episode, and we hope you're doing good, and be safe and be great, and we love you. Welcome to the Gastroenteritis Blues. My name is Steve Littman. I'm with Dan Volpone. Emily is on her honeymoon. Emily has actually vowed to never do a podcast with Sam Amick. Uh, Sam is here with us once again. We're honored to have, uh, to have Sam back with us again. Sam of The Athletic. Uh, Sam had a big piece this week about Ben Simmons and the state of the uh, talks with Ben and with a number of teams, but but chiefly the uh, Sacramento Kings, who, who Sam covers quite a bit out there in Sacramento. Sam, how are you? I, w I thought I was doing great, guys. I don't know what I did to piss Emily off. You know? Can't speak Jeez. for Emily, yeah. but she's, she's far away. In <laughs> she actually had to get as far away as humanly possible, even though we're doing this on Zoom. It's wild. That's a bad sign. My wife's name is Emily, so it's not the first time I've upset at Emily. <laughs> um, hey, so first I wanted to start with like, what's this time of year like for you? You're obviously very plugged in on all the trade stuff, but like, okay, you say you, you have a wife, her name is Emily. Like, is your phone on you all the time right now? And is the ringer on all the time? Like, what's your life like around this time? Like we're recording, this is uh, January 14th trade deadline it's february 10th like is your life nuts right now you know what to be honest so it's changed um my favorite part about the role that i have at the athletic is that rather than trying to uncover and, and kind of break every possible thing that might be out there in which case you know you would be working the phone all the time which to, when i was back at sports illustrated usa today you know, there were times, and even before that AOL fan house, when I, when I tried to take a crack at like that approach, and then you'd break a few things here and there. And obviously, you know, th those are big wins, but th that's when, you know, the phone never stops and you are just grinding, grinding, grinding. Now the focus is a little bit different. Like the Simmons situation is a definite priority for me, but it becomes something where rather than just, you know, you are always trying to uncover the, the latest development but you're also, you're honing in on a few bigger storylines as opposed to everything. Um, so a lot of it, I've used this analogy before, 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, going fishing. Like if you put one line in the water, you might catch something. If you put three or four in the water, then your odds go up, you know, and, and the, in that analogy, of course, the, the fishing poles are basically the phone calls and the text. So, I mean, you make the rounds and you check in with people. And I personally, you also try to strike the balance between, you know, not, I just don't, you don't ever want to be next to the people within the league, you know, and, and bugging people too much. So you try to balance it. But then as you get closer to the deadline, for sure, it just keeps getting louder and louder and, and you're chasing stuff more. Yeah. So it, it feels to me like the two or three weeks before the draft and the two or three weeks <clears throat> before the trade deadline are, are extremely ripe for uh, information and misinformation in the media from agents and from teams everywhere. And uh, as consumers and as sort of pseudo media personalities, whatever the hell we are, uh, it's hard to parse exactly what to believe. And, and of course we have uh, vaunted and well-vetted uh, uh, reporters and journalists like you or Shams or Woj or like the top people. But um, as we get closer and as we've been dealing with the Simmons thing for a really long time, it's like, we're, we're trying to, and I'm sure you try to sift through, and we talked a little bit last time about like how you sift through who's telling you something to gain leverage and who's telling you something because it's legit and because this is a piece of information that you can actually publish in good faith. Um, as, you, as you understand it right now, where on, on January 14th do things stand uh, just sort of broadly uh, in the Ben Simmons talks uh, in the trade landscape today? So I don't know that it's any more advanced than what I wrote at the beginning of the week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I also listen, you know, with the five teams that I focused on admittedly, you know, again, this is part of the athletic operation is Shams had written about, uh, you know, Indiana, Portland, Minnesota, Sacramento, Atlanta being kind of the perceived suitors. But then even in my column, like I, in passing, I mentioned, why a certain Lakers deal wouldn't happen, you know, happen. So the premise of course is, yeah, of course the Lakers have interest in Ben Simmons and a lot of other teams. So still a lot of teams involved. The Tobias Harris thing, of course, um, is a major development. Admittedly, you know, I wrote that column and I was about to turn it in. Uh, and this is just kind of the, the reporter side and you know, kind of lifestyle. It's like, I, I sent it in, it was about to publish. And then I somehow hadn't noticed that the Tobias thing had, had been said, I think on sports center or something like that by Mark Spears of ESPN previously. So you end up kind of, you know, I mean, part of the satisfaction of this job is getting something new. Right. So then you're sure. kind of going oh, damn it, Mark. Good job, buddy. You know, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, that thing of that news, you know, is obviously a big deal. I mean, it's just crazy to think about the idea that, uh, that the Sixers and, and Daryl Morey, are now having conversations that involve roughly, is that 80 million combined in salary? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, the cap's 114, you know, we're talking about two thirds of the cap. Uh, it's a little bit more of that. So he's on the call. Yeah. <laughs> well, but here's, here's where I will defend Daryl is like, the, it's only unbelievable to, I think the debate of course now is going to continue to be, and, and people are going to be, it's real divisive, but do you applaud the stubbornness to get something better this summer 
and basically, you know, wave the white flag on this season, which Joel Embiid, I'm sure, would not like to hear that? Or do you just say, you know, we take something less? But the Tobias thing certainly is a byproduct of Daryl. You know, I think last time we talked, guys, it was after I'd reported that he wanted a top 30 player. Well, clearly there is not a top 30 player available to him right now. And so in the absence of that, it just becomes, okay, I'll take your guy who is top 50 or top 60, but then you're going to do one more favor for me. And it's going right. to be taking, you know, Tobias's contract. So, and I, I, so I do see the logic in it, even if it's a, a pretty bold stance to take. Yeah. Another thing that you mentioned that like, I think in our talks on this podcast, it always seems like hypothetically possible, but I don't think anyone had ever said that this was a thing that was happening is that there are some teams out there that are a little bit uneasy about Ben Simmons contract right now because of, you know, the last time he was on the court, it wasn't necessarily pretty. And he's, you know, currently not playing, uh, say, says that there's a mental aspect to it. You mentioned that a lot of teams think that, uh, his on-court confidence is actually a separate issue entirely. Um, and he has a lot of years left on this, on this max deal. That being said, since part of the issue is this uncertainty and that has been worse, like you said, he hasn't played, he hasn't even spoken. Is there concern from the Sixers end or even concern from, you know, other teams end that could be amplified about this going into the summer and the uncertainty just getting bigger and bigger surrounding Ben? Yeah, I think so. Um, where I think it's a bit of a staring contest because, and this was not just one team. It's like that idea, you know, I tried to humanize the the front office guys in this particular story because we all know that unless you are, you know, Mitch Kupchak had a long run with the Lakers or, you know, I'm trying to think of other examples. I mean, R.C. Buford in San Antonio. And if you're people like that, you don't really go to bed at night worrying about your job security, but most executives do. And most executives have a pretty short runway. So, you know, for the sake of the exercise and because it's in my backyard, let's say you are Monty McNair, the Kings GM, who's in his second year and took a major leap going from an assistant GM role in Houston to this GM job. And in terms of kind of, you know, risk reward calculus, you are now contemplating um, going all in, in uh, you know, in this trade for a guy in Ben Simmons that if he comes to town and he's just not the guy you thought he was and it, and it doesn't go well, then that contract that you thought was a good thing is, is suddenly a, an albatross and your career is shot, you know, at least in that market. Um, and I think that kind of calculus applies to quite a few teams on the list. So that part I found interesting and it's also super understandable. Now I do think in terms of like asking somebody, like I asked, I asked somebody, you know, does it bother you be, that he hasn't spoken publicly Does that just made it make it harder to take a pulse. And, you know, you guys will not be stunned to hear this, that there's some people close to it who say, listen, if, if you're real serious, there's probably a back channel way to, you know, to, to get a sense about Ben's state of mind um if it makes you sleep better at night so that's kind of the reality of the nba but yeah i think those concerns we've been looking at it the whole time mainly because this is what the sixers want people to think and how to frame it of like well of course we're asking for a ton you get this guy who's 25 years old 
under your control for a long time. But this guy continues to come with a lot of question marks. You know, it's funny you mentioned like the back channel ways because, you know, in our talking, we've kind of said it's similar from the Sixers in, you know, you mentioned this and it's been mentioned a lot of places where it's like, and it's not really a secret, Daryl wants James Harden again. Uh, and it's like, we're like, well, he better be pretty sure that James Harden would want to leave Brooklyn. And the only way he could be pretty, like, I sleep better thinking that Daryl is probably out there tampering if he's really serious about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fair. I mean, no, I mean, there's times when it doesn't go the way some of these people, I mean, shoot, even Daryl, I'm trying to think back to the, the end of his Houston tenure. Um, you know, I think he thought that it was, that step one was going to be go to Philly and then step two was going to be get James Harden. And then the Rockets didn't cooperate with that, you know, and depending on who you believe, you know, Tillman Fertitta might've had something to, to say about that where it was, no, I'm not going to have this guy's goodbye present be, you know, the franchise centerpiece. So you can always, you know, you do your Intel, you, you try to make sure that you're being told the right things, but you know, these guys miss the mark like everyone else, but you're right. There are still people who for sure think that Daryl is basically, it's not that he's being disingenuous. He's just putting the market price at, you know, at a certain level because he is comfortable potentially going to the summertime, even if I will say, and I can't tell you exactly why, but it, like to the question of, is the deal going to go down before the deadline? Like, for whatever reason, the mood among every team I've talked to is that the answer is probably yes. That something will probably happen before the deadline. Now, I haven't heard that from the Sixers, and so that's when you would believe it. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. So you mentioned the Tobias Harris thing uh, that – that, uh, you know, you had this uh, and then it was echoed by a number of the uh, more reputable, uh, not more reputable than you, but just more reputable than certainly us. Uh, people out there uh, saying that, that it's pretty real that the Sixers are now making inroads to uh, essentially tie Harris to Simmons in a trade. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a ton of salary and, and it would be a lot of moving parts, I would imagine. Now, my question, you know, I look at this and, and I think, why is this happening? Now, is it A, Daryl Morey pivoting, uh, given the trade landscape, given that no true star is available? Is it B, making an effort to somehow clear cap space? Uh, like what Dan said, uh, the Sixers cap situation is not a particularly like uh, good one long-term. And if he wants to make a run at James Harden, it's like, sign and trade and Brooklyn probably doesn't want to participate in that, or you somehow get off of Tobias. And this is like one of the somehows is tie him to a positive asset like Simmons. And, and you know, there's your stipulation. It's, it's high. You want uh, Simmons, which is sort of like its own conversation. Well, well, you have to pay the Tobias toll. Um, or see simply an effort to get off a bad deal. Um, by by adding him to a to a plus contract like Simmons or C or D like some mixture of all of these like like sure. do you have a read on that like would you would you think it's sort of an all of the above? Uh, admittedly, you're more abreast. You've you've spent more time breaking down the Sixers cap than I have. But what the way you just broke that down makes sense from the standpoint of like as it relates to Harden. You know, I had been under the impression that let's say the Harden thing did transpire in the summer that it would be a classic case of 
James would just have to find one other landing spot where he says, I'm willing to go here, Brooklyn, and I'm leaving the Nets, you know, unless you cooperate and, you know, and, and you don't want to lose me for nothing. So now do right. the sign and trade with Philly. That's the textbook way of doing it. But actually having a cleaner cap sheet would open up even more possibilities. Um, I also think some of these deals, it's not just in a vacuum getting off of Tobias. It is if we're going to get John Collins, then we don't need Tobias. And so there's kind of some duplication of talents that I think is coming into play. And as an aside, I will say, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Um, Tobias, I, I kind of forgot how much money he makes. And it's, it's will never forget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's for, you know, $40 million, my goodness. And yeah, but damn, he's a good player, you know, like, so there's, he's not $40 million good player, but you know, I, even in this neighborhood, I went to a Kings game the other night and there were a few reporters we were sitting around eating and talking about like, ah, I don't know, like it, Ben and Tobias in Sacramento, if you gave them Fox and Buddy and, and Barnes, you know, which is a pretty decent haul for the Sixers, like that's better. The, the Kings are a better team than they were, you know, before. And this is a right. market that is just so, so starved and desperate for, you know, if, if Ben and Tobias could get them into the playoffs and they'd, they'd be throwing a parade for them. So I do kind of wonder, you know, and I know that my buddy Mark Stein wrote this today uh, and I looked at it right before we hopped on is the idea that like maybe the Kings would do it. And my my pulse at this point has been that they were they, they seem to in my my intel is that they're fairly like that's a lot. I don't didn't anticipate them doing it, but who the hell knows? Well, again, we got to wait and see. So kind of uh, follow up on something you mentioned earlier with the. Uh you know, the way it's usually done with the sign-in trades, whereas like maybe the Sixers don't need to make the trade now if they wanted a Harden later, is that Harden says, uh, you know, I want to leave Brooklyn. I'd like to go to Philly. Can you facilitate that? Do you think there's any thinking within the Sixers? Because like you mentioned, depending on who you believe, Daryl might feel like he just got burned, right? Like his plan was he's going to Philly, he's getting James Harden, and he just dealt with a team who had James Harden who said, Sorry, Daryl, not sending him there. And if Harden leaves the Nets, they still have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Like, they're still contending now. And do you think there's any concern that, you know, we even saw when Harden went out of Houston, his list wasn't all that short. Like, for for a star asking out, he was okay reportedly with quite a few teams. Right, right. Do you think there's any possibility, and maybe the Sixers trying to move Tobias and and free up a a max – contract spot somehow could be related to a concern where it's like you know Brooklyn says sorry James you were not sending you to Philly because that really hurts us we don't want to pair you with Joel pick a team out west or pick a worse team in the east and we'd be happy to facilitate that yeah no it's fair because you are really talking about Philly and and the Nets are you know they're they're chasing the same uh, the same crown obviously but but certainly the eastern conference crown first so competitive nature is going to come into it you're right about James I mean I remember as far as what he was amenable to you know Portland was on the list Boston uh, there really were a lot of options and to me the the macro of it that, that I do find so kind of psychologically interesting is that it's just Daryl 
it, it's, I don't know what a good analogy is, but it's like, you know, he goes to Philly and unfortunately there's, it's just messy in the beginning because he doesn't land the hard, hardened trade. And, you know, there's this mess that he's been staring at for months now, you know, kind of, you know, stubbornly taking his time to clean up because he wants to clean it up his way. And I'm not even criticizing him in that regard, but like, you know, you guys know this stuff. You talk to the Ben Simmons side and they're just like, listen, like it, it would have been fine. Just get your guy, get hardened, send us to Houston. Ben was looking for houses, you know, and you've heard oh, that story yeah. countless times now, but it's like, it, it is what it is. Like this is, there's some people who feel like, all right, like this is why the Sixers gave Daryl all this money and it was supposed to be to come and to, uh, you know, to get the hardened deal done. Um, and that just hasn't happened yet. Moving on. Since, uh, since Ben and Clutch introduced the, uh, the angle that, that Ben's mental health was in some part prohibiting his ability to play for the Sixers, the media, national media, the local media, we certainly, I think everybody has been pretty careful about how they discuss this, about how much they pride into this was really inhibiting his ability to play. Um, there had been, there was some, some uh, questions as to how much the Sixers could actually find him uh, because of this angle that, that was brought up and, and, and him being out with mental health difficulties and the Sixers were trying to get more information at one point that, that there became a bit of a conversation about that. Like, like what are they actually... Uh, uh, entitled to be privy to. And, and that sort of conversation happened. Now, uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from your piece. Now, now you said in terms of Simmons' eventual availability with a new team, the message has been sent that he would be ready to play after a few weeks of intensified conditioning and, and court action. So for that to be true, it would at least suggest that the mental health issue isn't a tremendous hurdle in another city. Is that your current understanding? Uh, I, I feel now like I'm that guy on the witness stand who just says, yes. you know, uh, no, but I, I, I for sure feel very confident about the way I phrased it, which is to say that that's the message that has been conveyed to teams that are interested. Um, but I, I don't mind at all having a broader discussion about, and we may have talked about it last time we visited, like, I don't have any, I don't, I don't have as much problem with that sentiment as a lot of people do from this standpoint. I've argued with other people that the idea that he goes to a new team and he, and then he's, you know, ready to play in pretty short order, in my opinion, does not a hundred percent, you know, negate the possibility that a lot of his mental health stuff in Philly that there was some substance to it. I'm a sucker for context. I'm a sucker for nuance. Right. And the point is this, like I've told colleagues and, and I think it's one guy who comes to mind, Joe Varden at the athletic, we were having this discussion and I was like, listen, buddy, like if I was, you know, if I'm at the athletic and everybody in my workspace every day, and, and I'm exaggerating for the sake of making the point, but if everybody was like, man, Amick, you really suck. Like, sure. you know, you're, you're, you're a bum at this job. And I don't know why we even have you. Well, I'm going to be a little shook potentially and have a hard time because, you know, folks aren't really lifting up my spirit. 
I'm not saying that's what the Sixers did. I, but you, you get it. Then you, you know, then they trade me to, uh, you know, to a, a different outfit. And all those people are like, man, we're so happy to have you. You're the best. Da, da, da. And it's like, Oh, look at that. I'm feeling better. And, you know, change of scenery. Um, so that's somewhat philosophically how I look at it, but listen, we also got to check the other box and just be real and say, yeah, like it's, you know, that when the teams pursuing him do not appear any longer to be concerned about that being an obstacle, then, you know, we can all be grownups and kind of say that it's, you know, it's just, it hasn't been the hundred percent obstacle that it's been purported to be. You know, the, it's a very difficult thing to talk about because you don't want to be callous and you don't want to be unsympathetic because like Ben's miserable in Philadelphia. No shit. I absolutely like, of course he is like he had a terrible series. He he's made it no secret that he wants to be out of there. I don't blame him one bit. I would want to be out of there too. Like I, I totally get it. It's, it's that it has become a conversation of somewhat about mental illness and mental disability. And I don't know that those are the same thing. And you, you're using that phrasing because um, that, that was the phrasing that was being used. Right. That's the phrasing in the CBA. That's the phrasing right. that Woj cited in his report when they initially stopped finding Simmons for like right. two days. And that was the rationale was the, and the, the, the term used is mental disability. So I think right. that is where you're saying there's some, obviously that's a very ambiguous term in and of itself. Totally. So, so that's, it's a very, it's an impossible subject to really talk about, especially in sports. And, 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 and I, again, I have no doubt that he's miserable in Philly and he'll feel mounds of relief when he gets to another city. And I, and I want that for him. Um, I, I guess I just don't know if that and mental illness and disability are the same thing. No, it's a fair question. And I would also say this much, our jobs a lot of times with sensitive topics like this are often made easier if some of the people who are in a position to really weigh in on the matter decide to speak out. I like, i.e., I'm just, these are thoughts that have crossed my mind, like CJ McCollum, president yeah. of the Players Union. What if CJ came out and, and I, and I have not, to be clear, I have not talked to CJ about this. I have no idea where he stands. But if somebody of that stature, because he has that title, you know, took exception to the way the mental health component had been handled here, people would sit up in their chair and listen. Or, you know, even, a, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, these guys who have been prominent on the mental health side. I have attempted to connect with some of them on this topic. Um, people don't want to touch it. They just no. don't. No. And, and so it's not just the media folks having a hard time navigating these waters. Yeah. Well, and you certainly don't want to assume it's almost reckless to assume. And, and it's a remarkably ugly thing, especially with the financial component that to assume the other thing, it, it's, it's very gross to, to assume that, that he and clutch would do that, you know, and, and, and sort of use this as an avenue out of uh, fines. So, you know, the only thing to do really is to do the safer thing and to hope for the best and to hope that uh, it was done with no ill intent uh, and, and just honestly hope for an end to it. Yeah. 
no, I agree. Um, I, I, I tend to think, I guess, independent of that too, that like, you know, I mentioned the thing earlier about him looking for houses in Houston and mm-hmm. it just feels to me like, like, you know, at least a big part of this, it, I'm speculating, but it just feels like, you know, he's obviously made up his mind. Like, Hey, you, you kind of showed your hand with wh- who you see me as what part I play in the program. And I'm not going to help you pick up the pieces just because, you know, you, you didn't finish and, and, and pick up the pot. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then he's not coming off of that stance and, yeah, you know, maybe down the road when this thing gets resolved, there is a little more um, transparency when it comes to this component. I think it might be important at some point to circle back and, and ask the question. I don't really think there's like a shelf life on that, to be honest with you. Like he could be playing with a new team and, and I could see somebody in that community saying, Hey, can we hit the rewind button real quick? And, and, and now, okay, now all the, the heat is off. You want to help me explain like, you know, how you handled this particular thing, because it, it really shouldn't be taken lightly. I just don't have those answers right now. Yeah. So moving off of this topic, uh, obviously still on the general topic, just not the uh, more specific topic we've been on. Uh, you mentioned recently, uh, and this was a, a change from the summer that Halliburton and, or Tyrese Halliburton and Darren Fox are now both on the table uh, in a Ben Simmons deal. So I guess I kind of have a, a two-part question. Um, one is, you know, it seems like the Sixers prefer Halliburton. We certainly prefer Halliburton. Um, thing I want to ask you is, one, is there any chance that, like, is there any interest from the Kings end in giving up both of those players? I'm sure the Sixers have at least asked for that, um, just know, knowing where Daryl usually starts. And two, you know, we alluded to the uh, Mark Stein piece of it. Um, where now maybe the Kings would be willing to take on uh, Tobias Harris. So, you know, you mentioned a deal that works is De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, and Buddy Heald being sent to Philly for uh, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Another deal that works would be uh, Barnes, Heald, Tristan Thompson, and Tyrese Halliburton uh, for Simmons and Harris. So do you get the sense that you know, do the Kings prefer to keep Halliburton? Is it, you know, you can either get, you know, Halliburton or we'll take Tobias, but, you know, if we're taking Tobias, we're keeping Halliburton. Is there any chance there's both? Like, what are the mixing and matching look like here in terms of possibilities? It's a great question. I, I wish I had more clarity. I don't. Um, but I do find it interesting. I mean, the last I, I heard on the Sacramento side, in regards to the Tobias component was, you know, the, the expression, the way it was put to me was that the Sixers were, were trying to win the trade a hundred to one. Um, and so the, you guys can certainly understand that general concept. The, the Fox thing, and this does relate to your question. The Fox thing is a trip because uh, I assume, did you guys see uh, Chris Haynes's piece today? Yeah, I was going to follow up with that. Where there's some momentum there. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, the phrasing actually. Uh. Right. Well, they, you know, he, but he. I mean, it was actually a good piece by Chris, and it was actually it was funny because I was sitting with him baseline at the game when when uh, when he kind of caught De'Aaron for a quick second, and then they connected later. So I kind of you know saw him working in real time to try to get De'Aaron's views, but for De'Aaron to make a choice publicly 
to identify himself as a scorer versus a playmaker, I thought was really interesting because for one, there had been rumblings for a while in Sacramento that he was struggling to be himself with Halliburton because they had the ball in Tyrese's hands so much. So his opinion kind of ran counter to what, you know, you thought that he was upset about not being the lead guard as much as he was before. And I don't know how to interpret that because part of me felt like, is that his way of, of saying, Hey, go trade for Ben and Tobias, but leave me here. You know, don't make me part of it. Hmm. And uh, you know, and I'll be fine with, with Ben, you know, having the ball in his hands. Uh, that's one way you could look at it. I don't know if there's a way, you know, you could, I mean, cause in Philly to me, you have, you know, the idea that Tyrese Maxey's emergence, I really do think gets in the way of Fox being all that valuable to the Sixers. Um, so fit, I think, becomes a question there. So I don't have the answer about where De'Aaron's head was at, but I thought it was interesting because it's weird. Some Kings fans today somehow thought that his commentary made it sound as if he was more than fine being traded. And I didn't read it that way at all. I actually thought that he was kind of t- like it was a little bit of a plea like, I get it. We, we aren't very good. I'm not playing very well, but I built a life here and didn't sound like a guy who, who was trying to get out of town, in my opinion. So, um, you know, we're always trying to play the part of mind reader, and, and I don't know exactly what he meant, but I think the Fox part of this is pretty interesting. And uh, another thing that really jumped out at me, possibly, you know, not necessarily in terms of what's realistic, but uh, just in terms of uh, kind of surprisingness was the Minnesota aspect to it all, to all of this in uh, in your piece from earlier in the week um, where basically they're kind of just waiting to see what happens with Ben and they're not going to put themselves in a position to not get him until they don't have him until he's sent somewhere else um, and for them you know if you're the Sixers the two guys you really want are the two guys you're not going to give in Towns and Edwards um, which means you could either piece together some like solid guys and a bunch of picks or D'Angelo Russell and a bunch of picks. Do you get the sense that there's any interest in that for the Sixers in terms of, you know, let's get a bunch of picks and we'll try to make a trade this summer. And that's still, you know, maybe Russell will help us a bit this year. I mean, he is having a, a, a pretty good year. Um, like, what do you think that is being perceived as in Philly? Because, you know, it kind of seems like the players, you know, it seems like the Sixers would prefer players to picks. The players they prefer are not in Minnesota, but Minnesota is still just kind of not taking any eggs out of this basket. Yeah, no, I, I think the Minnesota thing is is relatively real. And, you know, and, and again, they clearly think that as well considering, and I don't know all the specifics here, but, but obviously other teams have tried to engage with some of their, on some of their players. And they have essentially said, you know, they're kind of stuck in time until the Simmons thing gets resolved. And so that's a telling, you know, you see that from time to time and it's revealing about what a team's priorities are. The Russell thing I do, I haven't, you know, I have gotten some sense that there is, I don't know if you call it mild interest or like, there's, there's a, you know, some background work type stuff that has been done on Russell and Philly um, to the degree where you would say, all right, they're at least kind of vetting it out. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that part checks out. Um, and then, of course, 
just because I'm a sucker for like the front office human dynamics. It, it is so it's funny how you have a lot of connected tissue between the GMs of these teams and Daryl Morey. You've got Session Gupta, you know, who now is is the head of the Timberwolves front office, who worked with Daryl in Houston, was hired by Daryl, um, and is fighting to keep that job. And if you're Session Gupta, Ben Simmons is kind of your white whale. Like you're probably going to get a long-term contract if you bring Ben Simmons to town and, and, you know, Alex Rodriguez and that new ownership group are going to, you know, trust you to lead the way. So a lot is on the line for him, but, uh, but yeah, I do think they're in it for sure. We've only got a few more for you here. I, I want to check in about Atlanta. They've, they've had some uh, increased interest. It sounds like over the last few weeks, they've had a very disappointing first half of the season. Now um, John Collins has been, uh, a little more expressive about his displeasure over there. And there was a recent report that basically everybody except for Trey Young and Clint Capella, who I think cannot be traded because of when he signed his extension, um, is up for grabs. Uh, you know, Collins, I think, would be a great fit. Uh, we've talked about him next to Embiid, but of course, Harris uh, would be a tough fit uh, on the, in the lineup there. Uh, what have any, any read on what talks have been like there between Philly and Atlanta of late? Um, I mean, somewhat similar, I think to Sacramento in regards to Tobias. Um, I don't think the, the major difference being, you know, if the Kings are considering Tobias and, and I don't, I don't have clarity. Like I said earlier, Mark yeah. Stein indicated that they might, I do not, I, I don't think the Hawks are. I don't, you know, yeah. even, even with losing John Collins, uh, the Hawks financially for one are, are already in a tricky spot. I think they're 2 million under the luxury tax. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just a tough bill to pay when you're under 500 and, and not playing well. So I think their interest is only in Ben Simmons and, you know, the Collins thing is very real. Um, I just don't know how they get, you know, how they advance the talks once the Tobias thing comes in, but they, uh, the other kind of layer to that, that I find interesting is that again, on the front office side, you know, Travis Schlank comes from the Warriors and, you know, was part of the front office that drafted Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And, you know, he went back that far with them. And I think he's kind of learning the hard way with Trey young that like you need your Clay Thompson and you, or, and, or your Draymond Green, you know, I think Ben would probably be more of the Draymond, in this, you know, kind of parallel, but like defensively, the Hawks are terrible right now. And Trey is, is obviously not a strong defender. So here, you know, he's out here putting up MVP type numbers and it doesn't really matter because right. of how bad they are on the other end. Do you get any sense that like a three team trade is possible with regards to the Tobias aspect? Like, I know it'd be a lot, but, um, you know, for example, if it were a similar framework between this, let's use the Kings, right? Like the Sixers and Kings, where it's, you know, we still want Halliburton and, you know, maybe Harrison Barnes and maybe, okay, you're not going to take on Tobias, but then we want you to pay the picks to say Oklahoma City and they can take on Tobias. Basically, they can absorb him into the cap right now. Um, and they would just have to have send some aspect of uh, some assets back. Um, in order to, to make that trade work. And the Sixers could say, you know, all right, Sacramento, you pay that price for us. You pay the pick price. Is there any interest from Sacramento to include extra picks or even from 
any doesn't have to be a specific team, but like anyone around the league to take Tobias for these two more years after this year on that huge contract in order to get some picks back? I mean, if there is, you know, I mean, OKC, of course, is, is kind of become the, you know, the, the, the uh, I was going to say dumping ground. That sounds so terrible. But, waste you know, station, yeah. Yeah, waste station. There we go. Clearinghouse. Um, that, you know, that they come to mind, of course. But as far as like specific interest on Tobias, we kind of hit on it earlier. Like, I like his game. He's a good player. But it's just once you get to that number, um, it's just there, there's a there's a certain threshold. There's something about that four, man. Once, once you get that four in front of your salary, then teams are hands off. I mean, I, you know, this was not exactly surprising, but, you know, I had the note in the story the other day about how Philly doesn't have any interest in taking back Russell Westbrook. And I don't know, like if, if he was at 35, maybe 33, but it's like you start talking 44, 47, yeah. like, you know, so with Tobias, um, yeah, I mean, if I don't see a Kings in particular having the appetite to pay that kind of a freight to, uh, to, to play a part in a three-team deal. And so far, I have not heard anything about three-team scenarios, but you know how it is. I mean, these execs are always – trying to brainstorm and, and think outside the box. So I wouldn't be stunned if something like that ended up developing. Sam, is there anything in your uh, digging with the Simmons piece that hit the cutting room floor and, and for any reason didn't make it in that, uh, that you'd like to share with us? It's a good question. I admire the, uh, the, the ask. Just like, us it might, buddies yeah. talking yeah. here. Just <laughs> us chopping it up. Uh, it's a good question. Did I leave anything on the floor? I don't think so. I mean, I've admittedly, I've kind of enjoyed, uh, it wasn't really intentional, but it's like I had, you know, one early piece after media day, you know, that, that, that had the Ben Simmons perspective, you know, why he didn't appreciate the Sixers kind of commentary on media day and enjoyed writing that, which obviously was, was uh, deeply reported on that side. Yes. And then, you know, and then it was a follow-up comment about once every four or five weeks is, is kind of been the cadence. And, you know, so then it was the Sixers perspective with, you know, here's how Daryl Morey sees it. Um, and then this time it was, here's basically, here's how the other teams see it. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, again, it wasn't by design. I shouldn't admit that part, but I, I've kind of had fun looking at this story and this situation from all angles. I mean, you know, maybe I don't have the bandwidth to do, you know, this is this is what the Sixers fans think. That's just not my style. <laughs> no, we've got that covered. You yeah. have to worry yeah, about you that. have that covered. <laughs> but now I think the next shoe to drop is just going to be the micro developments in terms right. of there's momentum over here, there's momentum over there. Uh, but I'm dying to see it, and I still – like, if you ask me, you know, am I going to be stunned if he's still there after the trade deadline? Like, I'm really not. You know, I, I don't underestimate Daryl's ability, especially if he is just waiting on James or, or Damian or maybe even Bradley Beal. Um, you know, it would not stun me to see him push this thing to the summer. So you mentioned, you know, obviously it's not 100 percent going to happen. It's, it wouldn't even be surprising if it didn't happen, you know, by February 10th. But you said you would lean that way, that there seems to be some sentiment from non-Sixers teams that, you know, they think this is going to get done by the deadline. Do you get the sense that it's possible that this might not happen 
on February 10th in the sense that this could happen if it happens before the deadline, this could happen next week, this could happen on February 3rd, uh, February 6th. Or do you think even if Daryl gets an offer where he says, okay, you know what, in the back of my mind, I know this is enough that I'm not gonna take this into the summer. He says, you know, well, I think it'll still be here and I wanna take this to the very, very last second. Like, are we, do you think we're definitely looking at, you know, whatever hour, is it three o'clock? Three o'clock, yeah. Three o'clock Eastern, February 10th, that's when the trade's gonna happen? Or do you think it actually might happen before? I would probably lean towards saying it, it would be at the very last second because, you know, as it, based on the information we have now, it, like if there was a deal that had been talked about a little bit that I thought, all right, if he can get that one, then he's gonna call it a day. And again, I'll go back to, let's say Lillard for now because James mm-hmm. is just not available. But let's say they were engaged with Portland on Damien. Well, they're not. My belief is they're engaged with Portland on CJ and on on other stuff to make Damien happy. So, you know, if if something like that is, you know, they had kind of flirted with it and and had a chance to get that done, then maybe it gets done on February 1st or whatever. But I don't think so. I think whatever's in front of them, they're going to then say, all right, there's no harm in waiting this thing out and seeing if something better comes along. You know, I mean, who knows? The, the other side, of course, doesn't want to get completely hamstrung. They could put parameters on it like, sure. we'll do this, but, you know, you got to give us an answer by tomorrow because we got other business to do. And, and that does happen sometimes. But but I think they'll probably try to push it because they're not happy with what's out there. They're just not, you know. Um but man, I, I always try to also tie it back into the on-court results. And I, I kind of love the fact that the Sixers have been on a roll lately because it, it does apply pressure, you know? Like yeah. it, it's one thing if they were 15 games under 500, you just kind of sit here and go, it is what it is for this year. It'd be very much like Portland, you know? Like they're going to basically shut Damian down and and just wait for 22-23 season to come along. And uh, So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, listen, Sam, cannot thank you enough for taking the time with us. We always have a great time. And uh, the fact that you, you took this time during your busiest season, really, uh, really can't thank you enough for doing this. You got it, guys. Appreciate you having me. Talk to you next time. Great so seeing much, you. Sam. We'll send Emily your best. And uh, <laughs> listen, uh, you send your Emily our best. And, and Thank you. And, I will. Uh, have a good one, man. See y'all. Bye-bye. Take care. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 
Cuoco29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so we're back. We just talked to Sam Amick of The Athletic, and now we have Adam Aronson, Sixers Adam, formerly of Liberty Ballers, now on the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast, writing interesting things over there. Um, and also probably the most cap savvy person we have on Sixers Twitter. So we're here with Adam to talk some cap because we talked about this with Sam. Uh, Mark Stein had a report saying that, well, it was, was reported the Sixers want to attach Tobias in the, the bench trade and get off of that contract. Uh, Mark Stein reported that that might be realistic with the Kings. And so we're here with Adam to kind of talk what that looks like. Is there a path to max space? You know, James Harden has been out there as a guy the Sixers have their hopes for this summer. Uh, Adam, first of all, how are you? Uh, and then we'll get into um, that. I'm great. Thank you for thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. So the the path to max cap space is difficult, but it is there. Um, the main thing is you would have to be taking back mostly expiring contracts uh, if you're trading Ben and Tobias. Uh, and so the reason I say it's difficult is because it would be hard to kind of strike a balance between getting these expiring contracts that allow you to enter the cap space game next offseason, you know, while also improving the team uh, in, in the current. Um, so it's it's possible if you can find, you know, the right package of draft picks and expiring contracts for, you know, Ben and Tobias, who I think make, you know, close to $70 million combined. Um, so, you know, it's possible, but it definitely will be difficult. And do you see as part of that, like and the Kings were mentioned and the Kings seem like, and you can tell me if I'm thinking about this wrong, but they seem like the best case scenario. If the Sixers are, are able to get off of Tobias and you could get a guy like Halliburton who's making like four and a half million next year and would be, you know, a key player to keep that cap down. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you first talked to me about the idea of max cap space, the Kings were the first team that jumped to mind just because they have quite a few big contracts um, you know, like if we're talking about expirings, they have, you know, 20 million between, I think, Marvin Bagley and Tristan Thompson. Uh, Harrison Barnes, I think, has another year, but he makes a lot and it would be good salary filler and also makes sense as a Tobias replacement. Um, so, yeah, I think the Kings, uh, you know, if the Sixers are really trying to get off of Tobias, uh, you know, can they get off of Tobias and get someone as valuable as Halliburton? I don't know that that'll be you know, up to the Kings, of course, but uh, it's an interesting spot they're in. Uh, and I do think, you know, if they can uh, figure out some way to get off of Tobias in the Simmons trade, if I had to guess who that team will be, I would guess Sacramento. And so before I let Steve ask a question here, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, so in that case, right, I, I agree with you, right? Like, is it is it really realistic to say that 
you know, you're going to get Halliburton and get off of Tobias in the same deal. Um, what I wonder is, would if you're the Sixers, just in your opinion here, if that framework is feasible, but the Kings say, well, we want two first round picks and like Matisse or something like that, like real, real value in young players and, and, and draft picks. Is that something you do if it, if it means a path to getting Halliburton and a potential max uh, salary cap spot? Yeah, I think it would be. Um, I've long been notably critical of the Tobias Harris contract, as I think, you know, that not, that's not exactly a, an unpopular thing these days to, uh, to talk about the overpay. But yeah, I would do that. Um, Obviously, parting with, you know, I, I think we would all agree at this point that Tyrese Maxey is probably untouchable unless we're talking about like Damian Lillard or something, you know, in that tier. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a difficult spot for sure. But, uh, you know, and as much as I do like Matisse Thibault and and as much as I value, obviously, first round picks, um, if you can enter a world where you have a young player as promising as Halliburton, and you have the chance to add more talent, whether that's with max cap space or just an improved financial situation. I think it's something that you probably have to do. Dan, you good? You uh, you want to let? Yeah, I just right. I just like everything we it's talked about. Maybe more. Adam, <laughs> hello. You look well. Um, Hi, thank you. <laughs> the uh, so the other uh, one of the other options here is that the Sixers take Ben. Uh, they send them to a tre- team like Sacramento, uh, Atlanta, get useful players that can help you now grow with Joel uh, and Maxi, things like that. And then you also, uh, in this trade, you send Tobias to a third team like OKC or another team like that, who is just sort of a way station, who has cap space, uh, who will take Tobias into their room uh, for the price of uh, first round picks as well. Um, now the hope would be that when you trade Ben, maybe you get a first round pick with those players or the Sixers have to include their own first round picks with Tobias to this OKC or, or other team with space. Now, do you have any idea how many picks would have to go to that other team with Tobias, like what the cost of doing business would be, uh, to for for a team like OKC to take Tobias's deal like obviously we saw it with Horford for uh for them to take for OKC to take Al and the Sixers got Danny and that was one 2025 first round pick but you have any concept for what that would be like for Tobias that's an interesting question I think probably more than one first round pick whether that means a first round pick plus some young player or two picks um I would guess just considering how much money Tobias is on the books for. I mean, he's, I think the 13th highest paid player in the league and it's close to $80 million over two years after this one. Right. Which is not quite I mean, the just, 13th best player in the league. I, hot take. I, you know what? I think <laughs> I would agree with you. Knocking on the door uh, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so <laughs> he's close. 14. Yeah. Um, so, so I definitely think that that's a viable path. Right. Uh, I think OKC is probably the most realistic. As we've seen, they will do just about anything to add first-round picks. Uh, and I think they already have almost enough cap space to do it uh, on their own. I th- trade, I'm looking at the uh, tradenba.com uh, numbers, and they have OKC at $34 million in cap space, and Tobias makes 36 So that definitely seems doable. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's conceivable. Um, my guess is, you know, maybe it's Thibault and a first round pick. Maybe it's two first round picks for one of them is, you know, protected to some extent. Yeah. Um, I just think probably it's got to be more than just a traditional like, oh, here's a draft pick just because of how much Tobias is getting paid. But I do think that that is a path that they should be exploring. The the thing here would be that like, you know, to me, it was always like the Sixers aren't just going to dump Tobias for zero, like just, just salary dump him to OKC to get him off the book, their books, because as frustrating as he is for, for us to watch, like he does generally help them and they don't just right. want to salary dump the guy. So in this scenario, the Sixers will have had to get a four who helps them now in the Ben deal and then pivot to sending Tobias elsewhere. Because if they get like a John Collins or a, or a Harrison Barnes, Tobias is no longer a useful player basically at all. And the cap numbers is what it is. Um, so, so would that be a read on it as well? It's, it's like the Ben deal yields a player who would take Tobias's positional spot and, and his shot profile basically. And they, they now see it worth their while to get rid of his, his salary and his place in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think especially given the emergence of Maxi, you don't necessarily have to focus on a guard, even though I think everybody would prefer, you know, you get this all-star level guard. I'm not sure that trade target actually exists realistically. So, yeah, you know, whether it would be Collins or Barnes or someone else, like you said, uh, you know, part of the issue with the way the Sixers roster is constructed is that if you trade Ben and, and one of those guys is the main piece back and you still have Tobias, there becomes a little redundancy there. And, you know, like, for example, if you were to get Harrison Barnes, all of a sudden in Barnes and Harris, you have two very similar players who stop ball movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're both good players, but they share a lot of weaknesses that become difficult to kind of make them coexist. Um, sure. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you're, uh, if you're trading Ben and you can get, you know, someone like Collins, someone like Barnes, or some other guy that we're not thinking of that, you know, can log minutes at the four. Uh, I think getting off of Tobias makes even more sense. So, you know, all of this talk about clearing this space for max contract, you know, it's been reported a lot that, and it, I mean, it doesn't need to be reported really. I could tell you right now, knowing nothing, knowing no one in the league that Daryl wants James Harden this summer. Uh, yeah. Not super high probability, I would say, unless Daryl is doing some fantastic tampering and knows something we don't. Um, Bradley Beal seems like he just wants to fight for that eight seed forever. I don't really see him doing something besides resigning, although, you know, he's probably the next target up if something happens. Um, assuming that you can't get one of these guys that you want to max with this max space, what do you do with that flexibility you've created? Are you signing like a bunch of you know, maybe not similar type players, but basically like the first JJ Reddick contract with like the one year, 23 million, like overpay for a guy who you want to sign to a one year deal and get a few of those who are helpful. Or do you take a shot on someone? Is there someone else out there I'm missing? Like, what do you think about what you do this summer as like a plan C? Just from like quickly scanning a list of free agents on, on spotrack.com, like Zach Levine obviously would make some sense. I, would also, I would imagine that he's going to stay in Chicago. It seems like that situation is quite good for him now. Um, so I would, like you said, I would probably be focused on shorter term deals. Um, you know, back when the Sixers had all this cap space from, you know, Jimmy Butler going to Miami and they used it all on Al Horford, 
you know, at the time it was like, okay, I guess Horford makes some sense, which obviously it didn't. Um, but uh, what I, the path I preferred was just like adding a bunch of quality contributors on short-term deals, whether that was like, I think someone I wanted back then was Boyan Bogdanovich, which I think would have made sense. Um, bringing JJ Redick back into the fold would have made sense, obviously. Um, so it's a difficult spot to be in, but uh, I would lean towards, you know, shorter term, you know, high value role players where you're not necessarily getting someone who's going to give you 25 a game, but you can get some, you know, considerably helpful pieces around Embiid and whoever else is on the roster at that point. Um, as a, as a, uh, you know, just watching the situation with the trade deadline coming up, uh, preference wise, would you rather get off of Tobias in this scenario with the Ben trade or keep Tobias on the roster and his, and his cap figure on the roster and get say like two extra Kings picks out of that Sacramento trade. Like if you had it one way or the other, you get off the Tobias deal February 10th, or you get two extra Kings picks. I lean towards taking the picks or, you know, additional assets or whatever it is. Uh, though I think you could probably make a good argument that there's more value, just like generally speaking in a vacuum in terms of getting off of Tobias's contract. I think given the timeline that they're in and the fact that like, you know, as much as Tobias annoys a lot of us, like he obviously is a good player. Like he, you know, you're better off having him on the team than not having him on the team if you sure. want to win games. Um, so I think given, you know, the fact that like, look, Embiid is 27, he's about to turn 28 and, you know, obviously he has this injury history and who knows how long his prime is going to last. I think given that, you would pr I would probably want to get more assets, whether those are picks that I can flip or additional players or whatever the case may be. Uh, maybe it saves you from having to move someone like Thibel, uh, you know, however that turns out. Um, I think that's the path I would lean towards. And when you're looking at, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Kings. I think they're just kind of the easiest example to make, uh, especially if you want to get off of Tobias. Um, but another team that's been, you know, reportedly, and even uh, I wasn't there, but apparently Brian Windhorst did a spaces and uh, Mike Chioto says that Windhorst says that everything from the Hawks is basically on the table right now, uh, obviously besides Trey Young um, and Clint Capella, which is what's been reported that they're basically offering their whole team. Um, I, I think John Collins is exciting. I think John Collins is exciting next to Joel Embiid, uh, not so exciting next to Tobias Harris. Do you feel when we talk about the the balance of like kind of off of Steve's last question of like, would you rather get extra assets or get off to, to bias? Does that calculus change for you in a non-Kings trade where it's like, you know, in the Kings trade, you have that really small Halliburton deal where you're getting a really good player for not a lot of money. Whereas John Collins is in Tobias's position basically as a four. Um, and is not on a minimum contract. He's making $25 million. Does that change how you see the urgency to get off of Tobias if it's not the Kings? Um, yeah, it does to an extent for sure. Um, just the idea of like, okay, if you're locking yourself into Embiid, Collins, Harris long-term, that is a very expensive front court where there are a lot of overlapping skills where, you know, I, I don't like to use the word redundant when it's like good qualities, but uh, it is a bit redundant in terms of just like, 
the skills that these guys have. Um, so yes, I would say that does alter my perspective on that a little bit. In terms of Ben trade, first of all, I would like to ask you how essential do you find it? We talk about this a lot. How essential do you find it that the Sixers do the Ben deal in February, like right now? Um, like we're pretty on the record that, first of all, as human beings living life every day, uh, make it happen. Uh, like, yeah. hey, Daryl, not my fucking job to find the trade. It's more your job. Um, get creative, do what you got to do, make it happen. Um, but also just realistically as like somebody who watches a lot of basketball and pays attention, like I think that the idea that Ben can continue to sit out his age 25 season and somehow be the bell of the ball on the trade deadline uh, or, or, or in the summertime and just get traded for an A1 star is like not going to happen. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that, Daryl has been smart and prudent in waiting uh, the amount that he waited. And I think that now's the time and it's panning out for him and he should not stay at the table too long. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that waiting past this deadline is, is smart as well? I, well, first of all, I certainly agree from the human perspective. Sure. I would like even like beyond what the Sixers get back, I would like nothing more than for them <laughs> to trade Ben Simmons. So we can talk about the trade and then we can go back to strictly talking about basketball um, but I do think, uh, you know, and listen, if Daryl Morey knows that he has a real chance at, you know, whether it's James Harden or Dame Lillard or Bradley Beal or one of these awesome players, and they have like actual evidence that that's realistic, then I understand. But it's hard to believe that that is going to be the case, which leads me to say, like, again, like I was saying a few minutes ago, you have Joel Embiid. This is the second year in a row he's playing at an, he's legitimately at an MVP caliber level of play. Right. And he's 27 and he's about to be 28. And we all know the injury history and we all know how fragile the whole situation can be. I would not want to punt on a year of his career, especially a year of his prime. Um, and that doesn't mean you trade Ben for a bunch of expirings that don't mean anything that aren't going to help you win just for the sake of doing it. Uh, and I agree with what you said before. I think it's been prudent that Daryl has waited and, been more you know methodical than emotional in the, in, the, in all of this because it would be easy to just you know trade Ben away for a bad package just to get the situation over with um, so that's basically where I stand it's definitely a, a tough spot to be in I don't I don't envy Daryl but yeah that's that's generally where I stand for some of the packages that we've talked about like even forget the Tobias of it all um, because I think that is still you know we agree that that's like a pretty clear positive um, how do you feel about, and this is something I've advocated for a lot, um, just kind of the idea that, you know, obviously the Ben trade is not the last trade you're ever allowed to make. And I think some of these guys who have been reported have some trade value on their own, right? Especially even compared to a Ben Simmons who may be having just gone a full season without playing basketball um, and the concerns that come with that from other teams. Uh, to me, when you see uh, a Lillard, you know, possibly become available uh, and all of these guys on their own are probably long shots but when you add them up maybe someone becomes available maybe there's a good shot at that and that's something Daryl sees how much do you see value uh, in you know from the perspective of Portland from the perspective of Washington for Bradley Beal uh, you know or even the Nets in a sign and trade from guys like John Collins from guys like Tyrese Halliburton versus you know a Ben Simmons who maybe has not played basketball in a while 
That's an interesting question. Um, I think Ben probably still holds the most value just in terms of like from an asset perspective, just because, I mean, everybody knows like, you know, all the, all the shit we talk about Ben Simmons, but like, obviously he's a very good player. Um, you know, the, the defense, you know, for my money, the best perimeter defensive player in the league, or at least was last year, we know the passing, the rebounding, pushing the pace, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think if you're a team that knows that you're going to get, you know, a version of him that actually, you know, cares versus the one that's with the Sixers right now, like, you know, if you're getting a Ben Simmons that actually is going to play, uh, then, you know, to me, that's an extremely valuable asset. Um, at the same time, you know, Halliburton is one of the better, you know, rookie contract guys in the league and players that good for that cheap almost never become available. Um, so if you were to say, you know, I think Halliburton is a more valuable asset than Ben, I wouldn't necessarily argue with you. I think it's pretty close. Um, and Collins is very valuable too. I mean, he's, you know, yes, he just got paid. I think he starts at like 23 million and it goes up over the next four years. I want to say four or five years. Um, I forget the exact numbers of that contract, but yeah, he is um, at, he is at 23 this year. Um, and yeah, that goes to, if you're talking about a trade in the summer, that's 23 and a half, uh, of the new league year. Right. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, even like that is a lot of money, but he's a good enough player that that's, you know, a fine contract. Like he, he is getting paid appropriately. Um, Collins is a really good player. I think would make a ton of sense for the Sixers as a centerpiece if they can move to bias. Um, and I think he fits in well on most teams. I mean, we, he's, obviously an incredible athlete he can roll and he's become a much better shooter he doesn't shoot a ton but he makes it when he shoots it quite often I think he's at roughly 40 percent this year um so there I mean all three of them are are legitimately valuable assets and I think uh like you said once they make the Ben trade like they are allowed to then make other moves based on what happens there right like they can they can trade Ben for some you know let's say some sort of John Collins centered package and find out this season that like, oh, Embiid, Collins, and Harris don't necessarily work together. We're going to have to move one of these guys. Obviously, you wouldn't move Embiid, but you get what I mean. So so that's kind of where I stand there. Uh, it's definitely difficult to imagine, you know, like follow-up trades to trades that haven't even happened yet and that like we don't know whether or not they're actually real. Um, but like you said, you know, like they can make more moves after this. They can further tweak, you know, they can – you know, trade Ben and get a lot of picks back and then use those picks later on to flip for win now talent. Like there are a lot of different ways they can go with this. And what I will say is that like, given the creativity that might be required for something like this, uh, I think people should be happy that Daryl Morey is in charge. You know, I know he, uh, he gets a lot of shit uh, these days because everybody wants Ben gone. Um, but at the same time, you know, I would want someone like that in charge uh, of a situation that is as complicated as this one. Um, uh, we can cut this if you want. Sources have told us that uh, midway through last year, Adam texted did, this to us. That's the source. The source. Well, Adam. Dan, <laughs> I was obscuring this that you were doing some tinkering about trading Ben for a bushel of picks. Now, uh, of course. There were reports that the Sixers would only trade Ben uh, in a picks package for like a Harden-esque picks package. Now, uh, the Athletic reported that that the uh, Minnesota is like putting everything on hold 
until the Ben trade happens because they they're they're lusting after him so much and and that literally everything but but uh, Ant Edwards and Cat is available for him. Like how how interested in that would you be? Because it is theoretical and it is uh, you know sort of risky to take this this pack. Now they're they're historically bad franchise and you betting on Minnesota picks is fairly safe because even though you'd be giving them a good player and you'd be taking out less, you'd be taking back less, lesser players, whether that's like uh, Russell or like Beasley and Beverly and whomever um, they're, they're not as good as Ben, even though they would make the Sixers better presently. Um, you, if you take all of their picks, like where does that package stack up for you in terms of the Sixers, like optionality, versus like the other ones that would make the Sixers better today. Personally, for me, like I prefer the ones that give you like a sort of centerpiece guy who Joel can sort of see and conceptualize today. And also you can trade that guy if you need to, you know, should one of those other, you know, stars come available. Like, where are you at on that? How do you feel? Yeah, it's a good question. I've thought about it a lot. Um, I'm generally pretty intrigued by the idea just because it gives you so much optionality. Like if you, you know, if you're getting, let's say four picks from Minnesota or something crazy, like that is, there's so much value there. And that allows you to, you know, be at the front lines of any big trade that, you know, might open up. Um, So that's, that's kind of where I stand there. It's a really interesting spot they'd be in because like you said, it, it would require like, you know, theoretical fits that they have come up with beforehand and whether that means turning it into a three or four team deal like the Harden trade ended up being where you know Houston flipped one of those uh, or yeah Houston flipped picks and Cleveland flipped their Milwaukee pick and got Jared Allen and all the craziness that happened there Um, it definitely intrigues me um, just because again like the optionality is is quite nice there um, at the same time, you know, I, I do t- t- sort of lean towards what you were just saying. Like the, the best case scenario here is that you actually add someone where Embiid and the rest of the team can say, okay, here's a guy that's going to help us try to win a championship. Right. Right. Instead of just like, well, we have these picks that hopefully we can trade for someone and that might end up working, but is a calculated risk. Uh, and you know, sometimes calculated risks are good, uh, but you don't want to be in a position where you end up with your hands tied and you're drafting all these rookies who may or may not be able to help, but it doesn't exactly fit your timeline. I mean, yeah, I think we all saw Romeo Langford last night. Uh, the Celtics didn't necessarily play their cards well when they had all the picks either. So, right, yeah. Uh, um, so I kind of... Uh, want to get your sense of, you know, and if you want, I can toss you a hypothetical trade in this scenario, or if you uh, came up with one just to kind of get a feel for, uh, but could you give listeners like a sense of, you know, we talked about it is hard to open up that max spot, even after getting off Tobias, Um, you know, most likely means cutting Danny Green and a bunch of other guys uh, who have options. Could you give us like a fuller sense of really what that entails, like just how many guys you have to part ways with or even you know try to throw into maybe a three-team deal now you know because you can't trade for if you trade for an expiring after the deadline when the new league year comes they're not really expiring right there you can't trade for an expired they're not giving you cap space this summer right so 
it means possibly unless for anyone you can't cut if they can't get you there you know maybe that's a furcon or a yang getting off of a guy who helps you right now like some of the options that, that we have that maybe would not be super you know appealing to everyone because it is a sacrifice could you give a little sense of of what that means yeah so i mean the the easiest way to just, you know, say, okay, this is how we're going to get to max cap space or near max cap space is to trade Ben and Tobias for a package of expiring contracts and draft picks. The thing is nobody has $70 million worth of expiring contracts. Like I think that I was just looking before we got on and the, the highest expiring contract in the league is Gary Harris, who makes $20 million. Like it's not, you're going to have to take money back in the future if you're training these guys, unless you pull off some insane six team, insane deal. I know I just used the word insane twice, but I feel like it, it, it's worth it. Uh, and, uh, and like get all these players who may or may not actually help you in the current tense. So I think it's, it's going to be very difficult to pull something like that off. They can move someone like Korkmaz or Niang. Um, though I think at their numbers, Korkmaz makes 5 million next year and Niang makes, I think, 3.4 or 3.5. You know, if you're getting off of those guys, that may help you a little bit. If you're, if like you're fully committed to the cap space game and you're saying, okay, we're going to trade Ben and Tobias, we're going to try to get as much of that money and expirings as we can. And also we can move these role players. I think you could probably wait on moving someone like Korkmaz or Niang just because. 5 million, 3.5 million is just not that much in the grand scheme of things, at least, you know, when we're talking the NBA salary cap. Um, so I think, you know, Cork Moss is definitely going to be movable. There are teams that will pay, you know, two years and $10 million for his services. And Niang, I mean, we, we've seen up close, Niang is like a very solid backup for that I think most teams would be willing to take on. Um, so I don't think if you're doing that, you have to necessarily do that this season. I think that may be something that more you say, okay, after the season, you know, in between this one and next, that's something you can evaluate if you're trying to open up space. Uh, and how much do you think, I mean, there's obviously some value in expirings, but some of the teams that have them might not be in a position where they're going to sign a star this summer anyway. And we'll probably like Oklahoma city, for example, is carrying a lot of cash space right now. Um, they're below the threshold. Like there are other teams that are maybe not so worried about having an expiring. Um, do you th think that, you know, maybe that's where a three team deal comes in where, you know, some of these teams who want Ben who want to be good now, maybe are not eager to give up expirings and they might want to sign someone this summer, but maybe, you know, a third team is more willing to part with those guys. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, whether it's OKC or some other team that we haven't identified that has space that can do this, I definitely think it would make life a lot easier for, for everyone involved. Um, I mean, Oklahoma City has, you know, almost enough to just take on Tobias on his own without doing anything. Um, that is obviously something that is unique to them that not many teams can say. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as what to do there, I do think if you add a third team or maybe even a fourth team, it may be easier to, you know, check off the objectives that they're trying to get done here. Um, even if it's obviously it's harder to get four teams, you know, mutually, uh, you know, beneficial on a trade. Um, but I think that might be the best route here. Uh, 
And Adam, last question for me. Uh, I don't know if Steve has anything else. Um, just a general, you know, we ran through a lot of things that have been reported that we've been thinking of. I know you're always thinking outside the box. Uh, anything that you've come up with as a possibility that might be a little weird that hasn't really been talked about that you think could work? Uh, yeah, the one that I've thought about the most that I think doesn't get brought up very often is Dallas as a suitor for Ben. Um, they have an interesting collection of, you know, mid-level salaries, guys that would help the Sixers. Um, like you could think of Jalen Brunson as kind of a young piece that they have uh, that would obvi obviously Philly knows him well. It would be quite valuable, uh, especially when Luca was out earlier this year. He really showed that he can kind of take on a lead guard role at times. Um, so, you know, whether he's the centerpiece of it or him and draft picks or whatever and like, someone like Tim Hardaway Jr. fills a bunch of salary and would certainly help the Sixers. Uh, you know, Maxi Kleba makes sense. Reggie Bullock makes sense. Like they have, I've been, I feel like I've been saying this about the Mavericks for years, but like every player on the Mavericks would be like a perfect sixth man on the Sixers. It feels like. And I was, and for years and years, it was like, damn, I wish the Sixers would just make a trade with Dallas. And then they finally did with Seth. And obviously that's worked out. So yeah, that in terms of outside the box, that's the one that I've thought of the most that I think make could make some sense. Um, you know, Dallas, they've been fine this year. If they say, you know, we want to push more chips in, we want to go Luca Simmons, Porzingis. That's certainly like a very fascinating, uh, you know, trio. And between Luca and Ben, you'd have great passing. And Porzingis and Ben would make sense as kind of a four or five who could play together without Luca. Um, so that's one that uh, that I've thought of uh, as I go crazy trying to come up with what these what this stupid trade is going to look like. Um, so, yeah, in terms of outside the box, Dallas is probably the best one that comes to mind for me. Finally, what's your gut telling you? Does this hell end uh, in February? I really hope so. Uh, if I if I had to guess, I would say that they move him at the pretty close to the deadline. Um, I am not confident in that whatsoever. Sure. So, so pump the brakes on, on celebrating just sure. yet. Yeah. Like I was saying before, it's just hard to imagine essentially punting on Embiid's age 27 season where he's in year two of playing like an MVP caliber guy. Uh, I think at some point you just have to bite the bullet. Yeah, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we love your work. Uh, read it uh, whenever it drops. And uh, is there anything else that we can promote for you? Obviously, we can read everything at the rights of Ricky Sanchez. Um, your podcast, do you want to promote that? What, what can we do here? Uh, yeah, just uh, my writing, rights to Ricky Sanchez.com on Twitter, Sixers Adam. Easy to remember. I'm bad at coming up with names for things. Um, yeah, that's, that's really all I have to promote these days. All right, cool. Uh, give AU a hug for us. And we'll um, do. Great to see you, buddy. And uh, again, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you guys. All right. Thanks, Adam. See you, buddy. Yeah. See ya. So the Sixers. Um, this week, they went out there, they played basketball, they beat Houston, and then they lost to Charlotte. This was their first loss um, after a long winning streak. Um, and then they beat Boston and then they beat Miami in a back-to-back. -back. I don't know if there's much to talk about um, in the Houston win. Um, did you have anything to say about the loss to Charlotte? Like this, it seemed like that was sort of 
bound to happen. Like, you know, Charlotte was trying really hard. The Sixers, except for Joel, I think played really poorly. Like, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Like, it seemed like they were sort of due for a loss and I, I didn't really have much of an issue. That was like the first decent team they had played in a really long time. And it was the end of their winning streak. Did you have anything really, like, did that game bother you when they lost to Charlotte? No, not even. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they've won nine out of their last 10. Um, yeah. No, I, it was seven in a row. They dropped that one. And then two just enormous wins back to back these last couple of days. No, I'm not even thinking about that game. Like whatever. Yeah. But even at the time, obviously now we're recording this Saturday night. No, but no, even that, even, back, that. even at the time didn't bother you. No. Yeah. Um, then you go to the game. Uh, Thank you to Emily, who, as we discussed uh, earlier with Sam, uh, Emily is uh, away in Jamaica. Um, the Sixers went ahead and uh, uh, took care of business against Boston at home and had this wire-to-wire -wire victory that you saw in person. You had Emily's tickets and, and watched the game in person. What was the atmosphere like in person as the Sixers beat the Celtics? And we know uh, that you love nothing more than watching the Sixers beat the Celtics. What was it like? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. Um, the, I can't, you know, I wasn't, um, it's hard to keep track of runs when you're not like watching on the broadcast and you're in person, but I know it was at least like 25 to two that they went on, you know, in most of the, or most of the first quarter when Boston just couldn't score. Um, it was awesome. The, um, I was on, you know, I'm a bit of a booer. I did not boo even when they started a bit slow. Uh, they were down 10-4. I was, I was holding it. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't, my, you know, my boo trigger is not that, not that quick. Um, Tobias did get some boos in the intro, but they played the music loud enough that they were pretty drowned out. And then mm -hmm. I was really on boo watch when he, like, first possession of the game on the break just threw the ball away. Like, one of the worst <laughs> turnovers I've seen in a while for the Sixers. Um, but he really ended up having a good game. Um, there was, I mean, he didn't shoot the ball all that well, but I thought that like he played well and, you know, the shot will go. I mean, the shot was great tonight. Um, I just like how he played against Boston. I, um, I, I was like totally fine with it. And I was kind of encouraged by what he did, even though his shot wasn't falling. Um, so there was, you know, there were no boos warranted and there were no boos there. It was just a great vibe. Like the Celtics, I think, you know, the Sixers won by 12, but you know, it was never, that was like the closest it got. At one point it was like 13. And as soon as it got mm -hmm. to 13 and that was with the Sixers bench in, and then the Sixers went on, you know, another big run and it was right back to 20. Uh, the Celtics were never within single digits after the Sixers run in the first quarter. Uh, it was just, it, it, they just had it in the bag the whole way. M Matisse was unbelievable. Um, like he had, whoever he was covering was in hell the whole game. Um, it was just, an all-around awesome game. And the fact it's against Boston is even better. It almost like, obviously, this is going to sound silly. I, I obviously hate that we lost so many, like, heartbreaking games and that an awful series to Boston when Joel was younger. Like, I would obviously prefer to win those. But I love that he now, because of that, really hates Boston. And I feel like, when I watch Joel play and when I hear Joel talk, even on a game 
where, you know, Boston is 500 and really underperforming. Uh, and, you know, they really haven't had the Sixers number like they used to in a long time. Joel is still so excited for that game and still so, you know, dominant in those games and so focused in those games. Like it's, you know, a big, like you're playing the Warriors in a regular season game, you know, like it's a big proof something regular season game. That's what any Celtics game seems to be to him, which is how it feels to me, just as someone who hates the Celtics and always has. And so it's so nice seeing that energy and, and that, you know, level of hatred for Boston and for the Celtics that I feel from our, from our star guy. And it was just all around awesome game. So glad I was there. Couple extra quick curricular things I want to ask you about one um were there any cheers from Sixers fans for uh uh hopeful trade target Jalen Brown did you hear any of that none and he really he had a pretty bad game like he didn't give him I mean he had 21 points he also had like 25 I think it was 25 2 1 0 and 0 he it was not a good game for him I mean it was like everything he's not good at he was like especially bad at uh in that, in that game against Boston, uh, he, he lost Matisse, like, as soon as the game started for a wide open dunk off a pass from Joel, which is like, that's like a real criticism of Jalen Brown. And it's one I've had for a while. Now I would immediately yeah. trade for him, but it's just like a thing he does where he just falls asleep like two or three times a game on defense. Uh, at least when I see him, uh, which is, you know, obviously at whenever the Sixers play him and then a couple extra yeah. games, I always feel like he's doing that. Um, but no, there was nothing like the Lillard thing where people were cheering for Jalen Brown. Um, I, I think, and it makes sense. I think we're at the point where the trade deadline's coming up and it's clear he's not a realistic target at this point. And also he's not at Lillard's level or particularly close. Uh, and he's on a rival currently. So no, it makes sense. We didn't see any of that. Yeah. But no, there was none of that. Um, did you enjoy Matisse getting in a dust up with former Sixer Josh Richardson? I did. Josh Richardson got a surprising amount of booze. Like I get the Horford <laughs> booze. Uh, I was booing Horford, obviously. And his, sure. I was on Twitter during the game and his sister was annoying me and I was at the game, but the, that, the was, Horford my booze, third, that was my third one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was about Anna, Anna Horford really going through it on Twitter. <laughs> she was really going through it. We can get into that if you want, but the, you know, yeah, Josh got a lot of booze. Um, and I don't know if they were loud enough to, like come through on the broadcast but they were definitely you know audible from where I was sitting and you know I didn't enjoy Josh's time here at all like I I I really don't do not like him as a basketball player and I'm really glad he's not a sixer but as a guy I thought he was fine I thought he was like an awful fit here and that wasn't really his fault like he was just traded here he only played a year here um I didn't think he did anything particularly upsetting with his time here. Um, you know, I like Al was like, besides the contract and all of that and his family being annoying and him taking like, you know, shots at the Sixers all the time. Like he also just like was kind of lame. Like I always think back to like Furcon's game winner against Portland to put the Sixers at like six and zero to start the year. And everyone out went out and like celebrated as the team together. And Al said he, he was DNP old. And it's like, dude, you're like 32. Like, you're not that old. Um, it's like, yeah, I would I boo the hell out of that guy. But um, I didn't really get the Josh Richardson stuff, but he definitely got them. Um, 
Yeah, and, and the Towns fight when Horford didn't even cross half court. Um, Al Horford, after the game, so Jay King, who I think is a Celtics writer, uh, tweeted Al Horford back in Philadelphia introduced to booze. Josh Horford, who I imagine is a relative of Al's, uh, quote tweeted that and wrote about Philadelphia poverty franchise, and Al Horford liked it on Twitter, and that is still in his likes. So Al does not like Philadelphia, and uh, it's crazy that the uh, he left a poverty franchise to a franchise he's now proud to be with, who is under five hundred. So uh, yeah, that's uh, all the best to do. So then, and, the Sixers. Um, I will say, the Celtics. I should take that back. That loss put the Sixers, or that loss against the Sixers, put the Celtics under five hundred. They beat the Bulls tonight to get back to five hundred, which is good for the Sixers. The Sixers are getting pretty close to top of the East right now. They're you know yeah. only a couple games and a half back, so uh, it's an exciting time. Thank you, Al. Um, the. Uh, um, <laughs> so after that, Sixers have back to back against the Heat, which just seemed like a schedule loss, honestly, uh, because Matisse didn't play after Schroeder pushed him in the back as he was dunking, which was a dirty play. Even if it was a light push, you don't push somebody while they're dunking in the back on a fast break. Um, Danny Green continues to be out uh, with some hip soreness. Um, Shake Milton's out. Doc Rivers says we won't see him for a long time. He's probably going to play pretty soon because of that. Now, uh, this seemed like against a fully healthy Heat team, the Sixers were going to lose this one on the road, and they didn't. You know, Joel shot the ball pretty poorly from the field in the first half, and then he just played incredibly well in the second half. Seth Curry had a good game. Tobias had a good game. Uh, just incredibly impressive game um, from the Sixers to get this win. Joel was guarding Jimmy Butler down the stretch. Butler hit, I think, one field goal in this entire game. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I think, hit two. Um, one of the most impressive wins of the season for the Sixers, and Joel, I think, had 32 and 12. Um, Joel is, I think, a top three MVP guy right now. I mean, like, they're storming back in the East right now, and it's, like, remarkable. So uh, you got to feel great about where the team is at right now. And, um, you know, after the Celtics game, Joel had some quotes that we talked about off mic a little bit, where Joel said that uh, essentially they asked him, like, with the trade deadline coming up, how do you feel? And Joel says, essentially, like, when they're healthy, like, we have what we need. Like, there's no sense of urgency. We can beat anybody. And, like, you know, there's, we have what we need in the room right now. Now, we have our own agenda here around these parts. And, and personally, I, I choose to view that as a slight toward Ben. Um, it is at least in some part a slight towards Ben, right? Yeah. Like if you say, there's no way, right? Like, and I get, I think in, to some degree, right? Joel is kind of carrying out, you know, the message that Daryl wants him to carry out and he's trusting Daryl. Um, and right. you know, that's part of it saying, you know, we don't have to do whatever. Joel obviously prefers if they get a guy, right? Like without a doubt. And because that's, I, by the way, the, the opposite reaction would be Joel to say like, there's a guy sitting at home right now who we could trade. We're obviously playing short a deck or a short a hand. 
and I'd really like Daryl to make a trade. Now, Joel is choosing not to say that, and, and he's being a very good soldier by doing that. But, but you know, there's no, there's a clear message, and, and you know, you could say that, you know, that's, the, that's Joel telling the other guys that we don't, you know, you know we, we don't need anything. We're good enough with just us. But that's also Joel telling the other guys, you know, more, than, more so than he's telling us. Like he's not saying it for us. He might be saying it a bit for him, and he's definitely saying it for the other guys in the locker room. You know, we also don't need 25. You know what I mean? We, they're saying, we don't need that guy. Look how well we're playing. We don't need him. Um, you know, I'm not trying to trade any of you guys either is part of it, but we don't need him. Um, and we've seen that, you know, we talked about this, you know, before we talked with Adam a little bit unrecorded, but Joel's leadership has taken a big step forward and that's been talked about a lot and he's been a lot more vocal. A lot of things he says are, and I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not saying he's taking shots at Ben for the sake of taking shots at Ben, although I would like to think he is. I'm not saying he is. I, you know, I, I would love it if he were. I'm not saying that he is, though. What I'm saying is that's clearly something hanging over the locker room. And you, a lot of things Joel says seem geared towards that. And I think back towards the Maxi night when he says, that's how, that's how you respond to criticism. You know, I told you to take threes and you took threes. I love that. I mean, these are clear shots at like not maybe not shots, but these are clear, um, you know, these are clear things that would not apply to Ben, right? That like responding well to criticism, taking threes when your teammates want you and your coaches want you to take threes. These are things that clearly don't apply to Ben. The, the we have everyone we need. Well, who's the one person not here is Ben, right? So so right. the need is is you know in relation to what you could have versus what you do have, right? And that's Ben. That's the, that's, that is trade in some ways. I'm not denying that, but that's Ben, right? And I think that, uh, you know, Joel is, you know, was probably one of the players closer to Ben. And in terms of being the best players on the team between the two of them, uh, how he were to handle this would have a big impact on the team. And I don't think it's an accident. And I don't think it's only personal that a lot of these things feel like slights at Ben. I think that it's something that he's doing for the team because they probably have taken the Ben situation a bit personal. And this is Joel being a leader in his own way. Yeah, I mean, these trade requests almost never happen by the second best player on the team. They're almost always the best guy. Like, they're almost never by the guy who's very clearly worse than the other guy. Um, so, well, and on a contender. <laughs> on a contender. So um, this happened in training camp. You remember when Joel was like, um, it's disrespectful what Ben is doing to the guys in the locker room. So I'm going to focus on them and we're going to go and try to win. So like, from the beginning, Joel has refused to kiss Ben's ass in this. And you see guys like Danny Green, who's driving me fucking nuts on his podcast, on his hands and knees, begging Ben, come back, Ben. I hope Daryl doesn't trade him. So maybe we can convince Ben to come back and play some basketball with us at some point. Because he's, 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 he's quite a good player and he could give it the college try with us. And, and boy, his passes are nice and good. Like, Danny, can you fucking... 
get a like grip, pal. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, stop it. Get a hold of yourself. God doesn't want to play with you. Like, stop that. And like, I love that Joel is like, fucking beat it. Like, I believe that Joel would have played with him at the beginning of the year, despite the trade request, because Ben's good and Joel wants to win a ring. But like at this point, first of all, Ben's not coming. It's not happening. But Joel is also not going to go on bended knee to be like, Ben, please play with me. Like, it's over. And, and Joel is like, he's not forcing Daryl to make a bad move, but he's also like, he's, he's going forward with the guys. And this quote also is Joel saying like, put four guys around me and I'm going to win games because I'm that good. And, well, and he showed it. that tonight. Yeah. So it's great. The only other thing before we get to picks here um, is that we, we have some sad news in Sixers land, which is that um, a fruitful partnership for the Sixers has ended. Uh, Spike Eskin of the Rights to Ricky Santos podcast uh, confirmed here, that a Sixers official has confirmed to RTRS that the team has uh, formally terminated their relationship with Color Star due to a breach of contract. Uh, the deal was recently paused due to concerns from the team. Color Star has been informed and the team will not revisit. Color Star has been promoting initiatives that violated the terms of the contract with the Sixers. I have to imagine the line about hanging out with the team in the metaverse was up there. Uh, so yeah, the, <laughs> this, this partnership which we touched on and, and Defector had a very long piece about it and, and the CEO didn't exactly exist. And, um, you know, I, I wonder if somewhere in the terms of the agreement, the issue came up uh, that the company didn't exactly exist. Um, maybe that was a hiccup. Uh, Dan, do you have any parting words here for ColorStar as uh, unfortunately they won't be going forward with this company, which used to be a concrete company and, and now is, I guess I'm not exactly sure what they do, but, the, but they won't be going forward with the Sixers for anything. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, I feel bad for Josh Harris. He's going to have to find a different shady way to funnel money around the world and uh, mm -hmm. avoid his taxes and do whatever uh, other shady things I can't accuse him of because he'll sue me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, that's a tough one for him, but I'm sure he'll find something else really weird to pretend. is. There's going to be some new company. I can't oh, wait to see yeah. the new part. But, you know, he should have known because, you know, I had that old quote where he was like, you know, I, you know, manage this, like, you know, whatever you call it, like hedge fund or whatever it is where you like, don't work, yeah. but you make billions of dollars, like whatever the hell rich people Apollo do. global management. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the hell that is. And, you know, he was like, oh, I do that. And no one cares about anything I do, but then I'm with the Sixers and people, you know, like pick at everything. He's like, all right, well find some, some way else to funnel your shady business because, you know, you know we're whoever you partner with we're going to look into that's just how we are so like bad call from the beginning find something else there's no way the new partner is going to be like DiGiorno. it's going to be some other weird company that we've never heard of um we're going to go on to DiGiorno, the thing that comes to mind i don't know we're going to go on to the picks for the week um uh, we're going to call in 
celebrity shot here from Drew. Drew, we're going to invite you in here to make some picks for the weeks of games, for the week of games. So I'm going to invite uh, intern producer Drew to come on in and predict the week of games with us. Emily is uh, in Jamaica, but she sent via transistor radio her picks for the week's games. Now the weeks, now what we don't have it's impossible to go back and hear what we did last week. So we don't know what we predicted last week, but um, next week we're gonna update the standings. Um, so we don't have any clue, but uh, Emily predicted this week four wins. And the games this week are the Sixers play at Washington, home against Orlando and the LA Clippers. And then uh, Sunday they play at San Antonio. So at Washington, home against Orlando and the Clippers, and then they play at San Antonio. Emily, true to form, four wins. She has no fear. Dan, I go to you. Can you say the games one more time? Absolutely, sweetheart. At Washington. When? Home, home against Orlando. When? Home against or, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. When? At San Antonio, we have to do a podcast after. When? 4 0 from. 4 0. Come on, we're, we're never losing again. Come on. We feel great. We feel great. Now I'll go. I, I'm sorry, folks. I have to go four wins. Now, Drew, what rides on you here, my friend, is do you ruin the vibes of this here podcast? Ooh. I mean, they, I would say they go three and one. Oh my God. Who are they losing to? <laughs> I think they're going to lose to the Wizards in Washington. That kind of makes really? sense. I get um, I think Kyle Kuzma, ever since that tweet, uh, is going to unleash He's killing people chaos against us. Drop like at least which tweet about how we do tax the rich? Which tweet? Oh, no, no, no. The 80 mil. That how are you going <laughs> to, how are you going to, the 80 mil, the 80 mil. He did tweet about how you can't move 80 mil. Okay. Yeah, All right. I don't see it. All right. So one, but then you say three in a row the rest of the week. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're beating the Magic. They're beating the Clippers who don't have anyone. They're beating the Spurs. I love it. Thank you for joining us on that, buddy. All right, folks, that's it. We love you. We did a great podcast. Thank you to Sam and thank you to Adam. And uh, we miss you, Emily. Hope We hope that you and Jordy are having um, a great time in Jamaica. We're starting a YouTube. Absolutely. We're starting a YouTube, Gastroenteritis Blues. Yeah, so it's the Gastro Blues, Gastroenteritis, whatever you want to call it. Search it up on YouTube. For any pod video watchers, uh, I feel like that's kind of a growing thing. So mm-hmm. I have access to the full length video, so I figured why not? Put it on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it instead of listening. See Love it. everyone's beautiful faces. So That's a great thing. That's and a great Drew, idea because I'm really happy with the outfit I have on. Dan has a brand new outfit that he's doing on this podcast. That's right. And um, Sam Amick actually DM'd me after our podcast. And he said, that was a lot of fun. By the way, where did Dan get that button down? Because I need, I need it in my size. And I, I, I totally Lula. believe that you said that because I, I am a big fan of it. This is a fun episode. Sixers keep winning. Trade Ben Simmons. Be safe and be great. Uh, follow Gastroenteritis Blues. Definitely follow the new YouTube. Yeah, 
That's it. Get home safe, Emily. We love you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you, fellas. I love you so, oh, yeah, and I know.